Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. Small groups are wonderful. Have you ever been in a small group? I can remember early on in my Christian life where I was a reasonably new Christian and there was a house group, a life group in Gary and Paula's home. And we would gather about six or seven of us. We would have tea. We would talk and chat. We would sing or worship or pray together for a few moments. And then we would study the Bible and we would go home. And it seems like such a simple thing and almost an unimportant thing, like it wouldn't play much of a part in my Christian life. And yet it was a time of growth where I could discuss, where I could ask questions, where I could start to experiment with using the gifts that God had put in me, the gifts of loving people, of teaching people, of listening to his voice and sharing a prophecy, of praying out loud, of learning from other people and how other people think about the Bible. Small groups are wonderful. In the New Testament, small groups were important. There are many, many times in the New Testament where it talks about a church meeting in a house. In 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 19, Paul is writing from Ephesus to another church in Corinth. And he talks about how everybody greets them. And the church in Ephesus, we know from Acts and other parts of the Bible, was a massive church. Probably 50,000 people in the church of Ephesus. Really, really big. But he says, the church that meets in Priscilla and Aquila's house greets you. Now, there's no way 50,000 people could meet in Priscilla and Aquila's house. And suddenly we get an insight into what was the church in Ephesus like. We know that Paul met in a rented room called the Lecture Room of Tyrannus, which probably seated a few hundred. And so there were large teaching meetings where Paul would teach the Bible. But then we see from this verse, 1 Corinthians 16, 19, that there were house churches and they were in unity. They weren't churches that were separate from each other. The two worked together, the large meetings led by Paul and the small meetings led by ordinary Christians. And that is a pattern for growth. Listen to this verse from Acts chapter 2. It says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple. Now the temple was the big meeting place. So they met daily with one accord. That means there was unity. They weren't in different factions. They were bound together in love. In the temple and breaking bread from house to house, home meetings, small meetings, the two together. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. That word simplicity is translated genuineness or purity or singleness. It basically means their hearts were at peace. Gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. And I want you to see there are two things happening there. People are getting saved, which means they are coming to know Jesus. But that doesn't mean they're part of the church. It says they were added to the church and they were saved. You've got to be saved and you've got to be added. And what does being added mean? I want to 
propose to you that being added to the church is not just attending the big meetings. You know, thousands, multiplied thousands of people followed Jesus in his ministry on earth. They would follow him around. They would listen to his preaching. But only a small group, about 120, were very close to him because those were the ones who remained after he was crucified. They continued praying in the upper room. And we can attend a big church meeting, and that's a good thing to do. It's better than lying in bed and doing nothing. It's better than going to the gambling room or the pub or whatever else you want to do. It's better to attend the big meeting. But to be added to the church, I propose to you, means you are part of the large and the small. Wow. Really? Yes, it does. The large and the small. I'm going to say to you that pastoring is one of the main things that a church does. You know, throughout the Bible, this word shepherd, which is also translated pastor, it's the same word, is used of God's leaders who look after his people. In the Old Testament, the kings were called shepherds. David was called the shepherd of his people, Israel. But in the New Testament, the leaders of churches are called shepherds or pastors. They're also called elders. And there is another term called deacons. And we're going to look a little bit at this today to try and understand this role of small groups and big groups and how the church should be structured. Pastoring or shepherding happens in three levels. And I want to just share this with you. First of all, Jesus is the good shepherd. He says in John chapter 10, more than once, I am the good shepherd. And he talks about how he knows his sheep. They hear his voice. He opens the door. He is the door. He protects them. A shepherd is someone, think about a shepherd in the Old Testament. You know, Psalm 23, David, the shepherd, wrote Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul, leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He protects me even in the presence of my enemies. There's a banquet prepared for me. When I go through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with me. That's what a shepherd does. And I believe we can summarize the role of a shepherd in guarding, guiding, leading, and feeding. That's what shepherds do. But with care and understanding, we're doing it for God and not for our own personal promotion or greatness. We care for people. We guide them. We lead them. We feed them. Guarding, guiding, leading, and feeding is what shepherds do. And Jesus is the lead shepherd. Psalm 23 starts off by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. And so the first level of shepherding, if you want to be part of the church, which is this beautiful family of God, just like Noah's Ark carried the people through the flood, the church is what God has created to carry his people through in this world. If you want to be in the church, the first part is, is God your shepherd? Is Jesus your shepherd? Does God lead you, guide you, guard you and feed you? Do you rely on him? Do you see him as your savior, the one who's washed you of your sins? And do you follow his voice? Jesus says, my sheep will hear my voice and follow me. Do you know him and he knows you by name? Can you say you have that intimate relationship where every day you say, Lord, what are you saying to me today? How must I do things? I'm relying on you to lead me and guide me. 
That's the first level. Jesus is the main shepherd. But then Jesus has under shepherds. And the, the first level is, is elders. It's a strange term in the Bible, but the Bible uses the term, so we must use the term. He says in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter, the great Peter, the apostle Peter, writes this. He says, as your fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, and as one who shares in the glory that will be revealed, I urge the elders among you. So first of all, he says, as a fellow elder. Elder is the only title that we see for church leaders in the Bible. There are gifts, pastor, apostle, prophet, evangelist, but those are not titles. Those are just gifts. Those are abilities that God has given to people. But the only title we see is elder. Jesus said, don't call anyone teacher or father. Just the only title we really are allowed to use in the Bible is elder, or apart from deacon, which I'll talk about in a moment. But Peter says, as a fellow elder, I urge the elders among you. And then he tells us what an elder's job is. He says, give a shepherd's care to God's flock among you, exercising oversight, not merely as a duty, but willingly under God's direction, not for shameful profit, but eagerly. And do not lord it over those entrusted to you. Don't be proud and arrogant, but be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that never fades away. So what we see here is Jesus is the chief shepherd, but he appoints and delegates to under shepherds. And the first layer of them is elders. In Hebrews 13 verse 17, it says that those elders are going to give an account to God one day for the souls of the people under their care. So God has a list of names of people that he will ask the elders of every church. How did you look after them? How did you shepherd them? You are under shepherds and you must report back to the chief shepherd. But then there's another level below that, which are we call small group leaders. And the Bible calls them deacons. And I want to talk about that in a moment. But before I do, let me just summarize. Small groups are important. Small groups are healthy. There is life in small groups. In the Bible, no Christian was part of a church, I believe, without being part of a small group. I really believe that. I believe that every single Christian had large meetings, but then they also had a small group where they could share their thoughts, where they could worship intimately, where they could participate, they could develop their gifts, they could learn from others, they could discuss the Bible rather than just listening to teaching, they could ask questions and discuss it, they could do the one another's in the Bible. You know, more than 50 times in the New Testament, the word one another appears, and it's talking about things we should be doing to one another, love one another, share your gifts with one another, forgive one another, all these different one another's are difficult to do in a large meeting. Large meetings are great because the, the power of God is there in a different way. The bigger kind of ministry gifts like evangelist, pastor, prophet, apostle, teacher, they can operate in those bigger meetings. And it's more like listening to a, a speaker and, and more like being a spectator, like Paul in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. That's what Sundays are for. And they have a place and they are important and we get equipped and empowered. And we can invite non-believers to those meetings and they can find Christ more easily 
there is definite value and a wonderful buzz from being in large meetings. And I can't wait until we can have large meetings again after COVID-19 has passed its way through. But apart from the large meetings, we must have the small. There are things you cannot do in a large meeting. You can't all share. 1 Corinthians 14 says, when you come together, each one has a word, a prophecy, an instruction, a hymn, a psalm, a tongue. We can't do that in a large meeting. If everybody was going to contribute in a meeting of 50 people, our meetings would be four and a half hours long. You can't have that kind of a length of meeting. And so small groups are important, 12 or less, where we can share, where we can all participate and where we can be cared for, where people can look in your eyes and say, how are you? And there's a connection. I feel that you have connected with me. We can do that over Zoom meetings and over screens, but it is so much better in person. And the pastoral care in the church must happen through those small meetings. I believe, I would be as bold as to say, that a person cannot effectively pastor more than 12 people. You can't. You just can't do it. And so if we're relying on a small group of church leaders to try and pastor the whole church, the effect will be the leaders will burn out and the church will not be cared for. And you may say, but why isn't the pastor doing it? It's because it's physically impossible. The design pattern that God has given us for church involves small groups. You say, but those small group leaders, they're not qualified to be pastors. They haven't been to Bible school. They don't know the Bible. That's true. All they need to do is love. And they are supported by the church leaders and elders. And Jesus puts his power behind this structure because it's a godly biblical structure for pastoring people. And so the care and the love and the discipling and the support in our church doesn't come from one person at the top or a small group of people. It doesn't come from a, a, a Bible school curriculum where we work through and we do exams at the end. It comes from people doing life together, wrestling through the Bible together in small groups. Our small group meetings are very simple. We gather together. There's a time of fun and discussion. We're going to be watching a 10 or 15 minute video, which is a summary of last Sunday's sermon. There'll be a few questions where we can discuss. Then the leader will say, who needs prayer and what do you need prayer for? And we'll go through one by one and then we will pray for one another for our needs. Then we'll have tea and coffee or whatever, chat and go home. And that is what a small group is, a tiny group of people. But we grow in Christ when we follow God's model. I want to close by saying small groups are important. If you've just got the large meetings in your Christian life, you're missing out. If you've only got the small groups, you're missing out. But when we have the large and the small together, small groups and big meetings make church work. They foster people using their gifts, developing as Christians, asking questions. There is pastoral care. There is power released. And I want to encourage you, get into a small group and consider leading a small group. You might say, I'm not able, I'm not qualified. We will help you. We are there for you. It's not you on your own. We will give you the resources, the training, and we're always there at the end of the telephone to say, let's work this through together.
Father, I pray for our small groups and for our large meetings to grow and to flourish in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.